Our U.S. military and military veterans are our country's greatest assets. But service comes with a price. Post-traumatic stress is our enemy, and our mission today is Operation Healing Heroes. Brought to you by Great Clips. Hey everyone, it's Jay Garstecki, and welcome to another edition of the Operation Healing Heroes podcast, where we document the lives of our U.S. military veterans one story at a time. In addition, we provide resources for veterans and their family members who might be struggling with post-traumatic stress so they can get the help that they absolutely deserve. Be sure to check out our TV show, Operation Healing Heroes, on Discovery Channel, Waypoint TV, Wired to Fish TV, Amazon Prime, and YouTube. Today, we'll be featuring Brian Damian Rhodes, a United States Army combat veteran who spent 12 years active duty with a tour in Iraq from 2008 to 2009. Join me today as Damien shares his story. Operation Healing Heroes podcast is made possible by Great Clips, the world's largest salon brand with over 4,400 locations in the U.S. and Canada. Great Clips, it's gonna be great. And by Sure Microphones, the leader in audio electronics since 1925. Visit them at www.sure.com. Hey, Damien, it's Jay Garstecki. Uh, thanks for joining us. Yes, sir. I'm happy to have this opportunity. Well, I certainly appreciate it, and I I'm, I'm look forward to, uh, to having you share your story with us. It's, uh, I got to read a little bit about it in your, the bio that you sent over to me, but it sounds like a, a very interesting life, and uh, I certainly appreciate you sharing it with our listeners uh, just to kind of give a little bit of background, uh, you served in the Army from May of 2007 through May of 2019? Yes, uh, that is correct. Great. And you were a cavalry scout and uh, served as uh, part of a dismount team, gunner, and team leader. And you also did one tour in Iraq from 2008 to 2009. Is that accurate? Yes, sir, that is accurate. Well, first off, thank you for your service. Uh, we, we certainly appreciate it. And Thank uh, you. Uh, yeah, we, it's heroes like you that provided our freedom today. So we certainly appreciate that. Um, usually on our podcast, yeah, you're absolutely welcome, buddy. Um, on the podcast, what I like to try and do is just, uh, kind of get a background as to what life was like growing up for you. Um, and, uh, you know, did you have siblings? Uh, what was, what was your, um, childhood like? Um, so I grew up in a really small town greencastle pennsylvania um it's not much there other than to go outside and play and just you know spend your time outdoors um i had a younger sister um we spent a lot of time together we were pretty much each other's uh bonnie and clyde got into a lot of trouble <laughs> but uh uh just you spent a lot of time you know i know my younger years i spent many days outside just dress it up playing army or throwing the football against the shed um you know kind of kind of stuck to myself until i got older um i had a pretty pretty good family upbringing um you know very uh just you know wanted me to work hard because they wanted me to do well in life mm -hmm. and do you come from a military background did you have like grandparents or your parents or anybody that was in the military <laughs> Uh, I do. I have a, a large, I would say, military background. Uh, 
my father uh, served in the army. Um, my grandfather and his four brothers, uh, they all served in the military, different branches. Uh, my closest grandfather, he's uh, he was a Korean War vet. So, you know, I grew up with all the stories of Korea and then, uh, you know, just kind of, you know, really enjoyed it. Just seeing how proud he was, you know, when he kind of talked about that kind of stuff and, you know, kind of planted the seed in a sense that, you know, this is something that I'd be interested in moving forward. And then uh, most of my immediate family, uh, you know, aunts and uncles and cousins, they weren't really into the military, but I kind of decided to go my own route. And, uh, you know, that's, I think when I knew what I wanted to do. Yeah. So were you, how, how old do you think you were when you decided that the military was the right step for you to, to go down? Uh, I would say probably 13 or 14. High school? Um, yeah. I mean, I was never the greatest kid in school when it came to grades, but <laughs> uh, I did, you know, I did enough to pass. And uh, I never really thought I wanted to go to college, you know, right off the bat. And uh, um, so I was thinking, uh, you know, join the military and figure it out from there, honestly. Yeah. Um, but I had, you know, I had my family support. Um, you know, basically with whatever I wanted to do in life, whether it was the military or become a doctor. <laughs> that That's cool when you got your family support. I mean, that's off, you know, obviously that's mm-hmm. huge. And um, you mentioned, uh, was it your grandfather that was in the Korean War? Yes, sir. Yeah. Uh, my grandfather, uh, he was in the Korean War, um, spent some time in Japan. And then uh, I used to hear the the stories, you know, I was going to ask, did they talk they about it much? Up. Because I know a lot of times that era, World War II era and, and Korean War era veterans, they didn't talk much about the war. You know what I mean? They came home, they raised families, they mm-hmm. got jobs, and they just went on with their lives. And I mean, I've talked to many veterans who have said that they didn't even, not, they didn't know that their parent or grandparent had served, but they literally knew nothing at all about their time in service. You know what I mean? And that's, it's, Puzzling to me, I, I guess a little bit. Only my my grandfather served in World War II. My dad served in the military, and my brother served in the military. And um, all of them really didn't talk much about it. To be honest with you, you know what I mean. It was just it was a little bit odd. So, yeah, I, I, you know, I would say that's it's true because um, I, I think just the connection me and my grandfather had, um, I just kind of had that special bond in a sense. But I think. You know, he was proud of his service, but it's like, as you said, you know, their their generation's more, you know, come back, uh, have a family, get go go to work. You know, we don't have time to really talk about that kind of stuff. You know, they didn't think that their service was anything special. And mm-hmm. um, I would say uh, as I got older, you know, I I would just I would ask him, uh, you know, anytime we'd be over at his house, um, I would. uh you know, look at his medals or, you know, he always had uh, war books or everything. And he's just, he was always just so interested and obsessed with the military because, you know, he, he's proud of what he's done and he's proud of, you know, the military. Good. It should be. That's like I said, it was, they called that the greatest generation for a reason. And I I firmly believe that we wouldn't Mm -hmm. have our freedom without those men and women who provided it to us. So, um, man, they're, there are some uh, there's some tough cookies to crack, and um, you know a lot of them 
you know, they don't talk about it and then, you know, they don't seek, you know, the care that they need. And I, I think that's important too, you know, so that yep. they know that kind of stuff is out there. What what branch of the service was your dad in? Uh, he was in the army. In the army. Uh, Did he talk much about being yes. in service or no? Nope. Never talked too much. He's uh my dad's kind of like me, just kind of quiet and reserved and, you know, talks yeah. kind of when he's spoken to or um, in another sense. But, you know, we're kind of quiet by family. So it's, it's hard to get some people to talk, you know, about certain things. Sure. No, I understand. I understand. So uh, how about mom, as far as uh, you going into the military was, was obviously, I got to believe you're probably one of her babies, right? And she, it's got to be hard for her to see one of her kids go to into the military, especially in the climate that we were in during that time. But that being said, um, I, I, it sounded like she supported you. Yeah, she, um, uh, she definitely needed some convincing, uh, but I would say, you know, she supported everything I wanted to do, no matter what. Um, did she want me to do it? She, if you asked her today, she'd probably tell you no, because mm-hmm. she knows the risk and everything that's involved. But, uh, you know, I actually volunteered to, to sign when I was 17, so mm-hmm. I actually needed my parents' permission. and. You know, that was one of those things I know was hard for, mm-hmm. you know, it's it's kind of shaped where we are now and where we are as a family and how we deal with things. So uh, that being said, at 17, you know, is that one of the things, like you said, you know, maybe you weren't the greatest student, you may, you know, you passed your classes and that type of thing, but did you just feel that the, the military was the right thing for you to do, you know, next chapter in life? And and so you decided at 17, 17, you're still, what, a junior in high school? Yeah. Um, it was, it, I don't know if it was just one of those things that year, you know, you know, everybody grows up differently, but for some reason, I just had the conviction. I knew what I wanted to do, and I felt that is the best, uh, you know, opportunity to move forward. And and I knew I wanted to do it. Yeah. Um, just you know, make my grandfather proud and make my dad proud, family proud, and uh, just kind of, you know. I wanted that to be my time to give back to everybody else who's given back. That's cool. And how about you, your sister? You said that you and your sister were pretty close. So how did she take it? Do you remember? Uh, you know, as a, a cheerleader in school, she, you know, she was the popular one. So I'm sure she didn't take it as hard as my mom, but, uh, yeah. you know, after everything was all said and done, she, uh, she actually joined the, the military as well. And, I, you know, I'd like to say I take credit for for it and her following in my footsteps, but you know, we're both stubborn, so we'll, we'll never admit it. <laughs> she blazed her own trail, huh? <laughs> she did, and uh, you know, the army opened up a lot of opportunities for her, and she's doing great. Great. Is she still in or no? Uh, I believe she just got out uh, just recently. Um, she you know, was able to obtain her top secret clearance in the military and wow. she's doing fantastic things down in the DC area. Do you guys get to talk very much or no? Yeah. Yeah. We stay in contact pretty, uh, pretty regularly, you know, uh, the family's pretty close. We all, we all stay in contact, even though, uh, 
me and my sister kind of left the nest and, but, uh, it's, you know, we're all, we're all really close family. That's cool. That's good to hear. So are mom and dad still back in Pennsylvania then? Yeah, uh, they are. Uh, so, uh, actually as I was going through the boot camp, my parents, uh, were getting divorced. So, you know, kind of finding that out during that period was a little rough, but, mm. um, you know, in life, you know, that's, that's the kind of thing. She just, you gotta, you gotta be happy no matter what in, in life. And, uh, you know, I understood it. It was hard, but, yeah. um, you just kind of, kind of got to take what life gives you sometimes and, and be happy for everybody. And, and they're happy. They're all doing, you know, very well. My sister's doing good and, you know, things are great. Good. Good deal. So when you, uh, when you decided you were going to go into the military, um, at what point did you decide it was the army versus any of the other branches of service or how'd you come to that conclusion? I mean, that's a really good question. Cause I always wanted to join the Marine Corps. Um, I, I think I talked about the Marine Corps more than I did the army. And then I, I just, I'm not sure. I don't know if it was just, you know, with my dad being in the army and my grandfather being in the army, I think I took pride in trying to carry that legacy in a sense. Mm-hmm. So that was kind of my, uh, my way of, you know, trying to make them proud. Well, that's cool. And now that you you've been in the army for 12 years would, and you look back on it, would, would you have done it differently or no? Uh, I mean, I, I don't think so. I mean, it, I don't think I would be the person I am today if I didn't join the army. Mm-hmm. Um, I always joke around, tell myself I would have joined the air force. So it was easier time, <laughs> <Yep. laughs> but, you know, that's just a you know running joke you know among the services you know oh, yeah. I appreciate all the branches but um, I, I don't think I would have done it any differently because I think where I've gotten in life is just having that door in the military and and you know with the service and uh, you know certain things that have happened to me have kind of molded me into you know what I am today. Cool. Yeah. <clears throat> That's cool. So before we take a quick break, I'm just going to ask you real quick. Do you remember, um, you know, that your, your final days leading up before you had to leave for boot camp, and, you know, saying goodbye to family, friends, that type of thing, were you physically and mentally prepared for what you were going to encounter in boot camp? And we're going to talk about your, your military career in the next segment, but I was just curious as the, you know, the time leading up to, to leaving for the military, um, what was that like? Um, it was kind of surreal in a sense uh, because, you know, you, you you plan for it, you plan for it, and the day comes, and, uh, you know, there's a lot of tears, mm-hmm. um, you know, happy and sad. Um, I mean, I, I was, I think, I thought I was physically ready, but, you know, it, it turned out to be a challenge, but mentally, Mentally, I was all in, and I was, you know, I was ready to go. I I knew what I wanted, and um, I was committed. And I'm a pretty stubborn person, so when I get committed to doing something, I, I, do I stick it. it through. Nice. Yes, sir. Nice. And so, uh, where where was um, boot camp at then? Um, I attended uh, boot camp at uh, Fort Knox, Kentucky, uh, in the dead of summer. So 
Uh, it was. That'd I thought tough. Pennsylvania had humidity, <laughs> so it, it was a. Uh, it, it was a good experience, and um, it was it was uh, it was fun. Cool. Excellent. Well, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, I want to learn a little bit more about your time in the military um, as it relates to uh, uh, time from boot camp and forward, and uh, we'll be right back. Operation Healing Heroes podcast is made possible by Wiley X Sunglasses. Wiley X is a family-owned company founded by U.S. military veteran Miles Freeman Sr. with a focused determination to create the world's best protective gear for those that protect our country. Over 35 years ago, Wiley X was born on the battlefield. Today, Wiley X continues to pioneer protective eyewear and sunglasses, not only for our military, but for consumers as well. Visit www.wileyx.com and support the companies that support our veterans. This week's nonprofit of the week is Fort Freedom. The mission of Fort Freedom is to minimize the veteran suicide rate, free veterans from the imprisonment of post-traumatic stress, and guide them to a newfound sense of purpose. Fort Freedom offers an individualized 12-week life-restoring program supported by holistic and wellness-based services. Our experts range from fitness instructors and nutrition coaches to trauma therapists. This program doesn't hold your hand. It throws you a rope. Visit our website at www.myfortfreedom.org for more information. And we're talking to Damian Rhodes. Damian, welcome back. And uh, again, thank you for sharing your, your childhood story with us. And uh, let's yes. move on to your military career. So uh, you you just shared with us that you went into uh, boot camp in, in Kentucky, and uh, it was hot. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. yeah, tell yeah. me about that. Um, so uh, I remember getting there, and, you know, they put you uh, – you know, in the, in the pre pre boot camp phase and just kind of get you ready. You know, you go through your shots and, you know, all that kind of stuff. Um, you know, at first, you know, being surrounded from people, you know, all around the country, um, different stories, different people, different, you know, ethnicities, uh, ages, everything's just unique, you know, and, um, you know, just, from a little small town, Greencastle, and uh, I was kind of overwhelmed. You know, I was like, kind of, what did I get myself into? Mm-hmm. And so, um, I often ask the question: Could you have ever really prepared yourself for boot camp? And what I mean by that, um, I know mentally you said you're all in, but uh, you know, obviously they try to break you guys down and build you back up again. And um, could you have ever really physically and mentally prepared for what you were going to go through? I don't think you can, um, because boot camp is just such a wild card of personalities, and you know the 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 people, the drill sergeants there. You know that's they're there to break down every personality and and form everybody into one cohesive group. Um, so no, I, I mean I don't think you can ever really prepare. You can get yourself ready, but you know once you jump off into the deep end, you just hope to swim. And in a sense. Yeah, no, I hear you. And uh, did you did you basically build a lot of uh, friendships in boot camp? I mean, did you are, you, are there guys uh, that you still talk to today from boot camp or no? Yeah, there's um, there's quite a few people I actually still keep in touch with. 
um, that I, I became really good friends with. Um, you know, I still uh, visit uh, one of them in, in uh, Richmond, Virginia. It's a really good guy. Um, at, you know, everybody in there had a story, and it was kind of fun. It was almost like a almost like a, uh, a, a ginormous sleepover that turned into like a nightmare, you know, with all the drill sergeants and everything. But uh, for the most part, I, th- I would think, you know, you hear from most veterans to say, you know, that's probably one of the best times of their life because some of the memories and, and the stuff that you get to experience while you're there. Yeah. And so uh, you're there for what, six weeks or eight weeks? Uh, yeah, it was eight weeks. And then, uh, uh, AIT was, I believe nine weeks. So, um, it was, uh, you know, different phases and, and mm-hmm. the, you know, basics just breaking you down and building you back up. When did you decide what your MLS was going to be? Uh, so I, I decided before when, when I went in, I went ahead and knew I wanted to be a 19 Delta Cav Scout. Mm. Um, just because I saw all the cool recruitment videos with, you know, <laughs> off-road vehicles and machine guns and blowing stuff up. And I was like, man, this is going to be cool. Nice. And was it what you expected? Uh, I think it, I think it was in a sense, um, you know, getting there at 17 is. Mm-hmm. You're still a kid, just, man. Uh, yeah. Um, but yeah, I would say, it was exactly what I thought I was going to get into, but, you know, I could just never mentally prepare in a sense, I guess, uh, while I was there, you know, it's just, and then of course I got lucky and uh, had a drill sergeant who happened to have my last name. So uh, he was <laughs> always on, on top of me. Oh, that's good. So after, uh, after boot camp, um, where's your first, uh, where do you get stationed at first after, after Kentucky? So, uh, so after that whole thing, I actually, I got to go home for a little bit and, uh, probably, uh, being home for a little bit, I actually, uh, immediately got a call that, uh, I guess, uh, somebody had gotten hurt in, uh, in Mississippi that, uh, the unit I was going to, and, uh, they needed me as a replacement immediately so hmm. um i kind of had uh about about a week i would say to wow. prepare uh had my bags you know packed up ready to go and um jumped on a plane and uh flew down to uh camp shelby mississippi um pretty much right away uh and then uh, I started the the pre mobilization uh, JRTC down there, and uh, that that was really it. I was kind of just thrust into it almost immediately. Yeah, and you weren't in the military very long before it sounds like you had to deploy uh, to Iraq. Uh, I would say yeah, less than a month. About. Wow, that's crazy. So, so I had that, and then you know, um, I spent. Uh, uh, it was about three months in the in the pre-mobilization, the JRTC phase, you know, Camp Shelby, uh, Mississippi, Fort Polk, Louisiana, and uh, basically the ramp up, um, you know, once I caught up with 
my unit and um, just it, it went from basic training, AIT to pre-mobilization, you know, getting ready for everything that, you know, you would see in the real world, you know, doing all your your first aid and your vehicle rollovers and then getting into unit tactics and the Fort Polk. And so from there, when do you get your orders that you're going to uh, be deploying or like, you know, do you remember the time when, when you found out that you're going to have to go overseas? Uh, I want to say it was about October or November. Uh, had you already gone actually, back? Cause you went, went home after, after you had mentioned you were only home for about a week and then did, and you had to go to Mississippi, but did you know at that point you were going to be going to Iraq or not yet? Uh, I hadn't yet. Um, I actually got a call from, it would have been the training uh, NCO or the readiness NCO uh, basically saying that, uh, you know, one of the drivers actually got hurt climbing up on one of the vehicles and they needed a replacement. And, uh, you know, lowest man on the totem pole gets mm-hmm. the call. And uh, <laughs> so um, I remember I was standing in my mom's kitchen when I got the phone call and, uh, uh, I kind of stepped away and she's like, what was that? And uh, I, I just remember coming back and I was kind of took a pause and I was like, I was like, uh, I was like, I'm going to end up going to Iraq. And she's like, you're kidding. And I was like, I, I'm not kidding. And she said, cause I joke around a lot, you know, mm-hmm. I'm a jokester. And uh, she, she couldn't believe it. Cause she was, you know, I literally just gotten, you know, back home and, uh, you know, but you got to do what you got to do. And, um, you know, it was kind of one of those gut checks that, you know, this is what you sign up for. You never, you never know, but it, you know, for something to happen that quick, it's kind of like gut check, like, all right, this is going to happen. Yeah. And so, uh, let's talk if you don't mind a little bit about your deployment. Um, you know, what was that like? Uh, obviously again, I'd have to, probably assume that there's just no preparing for what you're really going to, you know, get into when, when you go there, huh? No, I mean, during the, your, your pre-mobilization and everything, they try to get you, you know, you know, in that mindset of what it's going to be like, you know, with, with the training and, and everything. That's why they have those, you know, pre-mobilizations. Mm-hmm. Um, but you can't really ever prepare because, I mean, you never know what the environment's going to give you right. once you get there. Um, I just remember, you know, jumping on the plane in uh, Fort Dix, New Jersey, and we, we flew on over to Ireland. And um, from there, we went to uh, Germany and then uh, flew into Kuwait, where we stayed for a couple months before we actually moved out. Um, and then once, you know, once you get into Iraq, it was like, all right, it's it's game on. Hmm. So, uh, feel free to share as much or as little about your deployment as you'd like. I, like I said, I always say that this show is not about you know trying to glorify anything as it relates to to war. But that mm-hmm. being said, um, the show is about post traumatic stress and trying to make tomorrow better than today for all of our veterans. And so. I, I really, um, you know, I want to make sure that our vets understand that, um, you're not alone. It's okay to feel the way that you feel, however that is. And, um, and that there's really, there's hope and there's healing out there for you. And, uh, 
you know, we want to, we want to try and bridge that gap and make, you know, make tomorrow better than today and, and help, help you get some, some treatment. So, um, am I Absolutely. safe to assume that it was a, a not a disastrous impl- deployment, but I mean, a difficult one. Yeah. I mean, I, I was, you know, the youngest person, uh, in my troop. So, you know, with that, uh, was already hard enough. And then, uh, you know, graduated and, you know, just straight going into this. But, uh, <clears throat> when we, when we got into Iraq, you know, we landed in Taji and, uh, you know, allows a couple of days to get set up. And I was like, okay, this, you know, might not be too bad. Then found out we were, they, we were actually just, that's kind of like a home staging point, And, uh, we were actually being put on a, uh, JSS, JSS follow hot which was a little tiny uh, outpost, um, you know, right off the Tigris River in the middle of a village. Hmm. And the only people we we had to count on was, you know, the 85, 90 of us that, you know, we had on that that little outpost there. And uh, I think... I think once we started doing the left seat, right seat, and being able to go out there and seeing what we were getting into, it's it's when you kind of start to open your eyes and be like, okay, like I I gotta start, I have to, I gotta flip the switch to, I'm not just a civilian, I'm not mm-hmm. just in the military, I gotta be, I gotta be 24 seven, 365 the whole time I'm here, ready to go in case anything goes because the the only thing that was certain was the unknown Mm -hmm. so i think that's what um i think that's what gets you in the end is is just having to have that that switch flip you know 24 Mm -hmm. 7 and uh so you know being on there we were we were self-sufficient um you know we had nobody to rely on but ourselves and we would do you know, some days we would do two missions, some days we would do one 16-hour mission, but it was a constant rotation that we were just in and out of, um, you know, the gates, you know, just, you know, making our presence known, trying to make things better, mm-hmm. you know, build support, uh, shake some hands, and just try to help, you know, the villages and everything that was around us. Um, so, the schedule was hard getting used to, you know, sometimes you have a zero 200, you know, mission. So you got to be up at 12. You got to do, you got to eat, get your mission brief. Uh, you know, you go out there for seven, eight hours, come back, catch a couple hours of sleep. And then they task you to go out at 1500 and you do it all over again. Yeah. And uh, we did, we did a range of operations. We did, uh, we did a lot of counter IED. Um, we did, uh, you know, seeking out the uh, high value target type people, people that they wanted us to kind of go find and talk to. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of cache type of services, like, you know, everybody wanted to come talk to you because when you got the money, everybody wants to, everybody wants a piece of the pie, mm-hmm. and you know that was kind of a, a driving factor. So we spent. A lot of time just looking for weapons, caches, you know, and, you know, doing just about 
everything you could think of. I mean, it was never a dull moment. And, you know, I'll always be grateful for that time over there because it opened my eyes. I also got to see, you know, a completely different way of living and and talking to, you know, the kids and interacting with them and just uh, yeah, and that, that's, seeing everything. So it was it – was, That's the important part that uh, listeners, you know, and, and – People got to understand is that you know think people think of you know you're in a war and you're over there and all it is is you go outside the the, the wire and, and all it is is combat and that's not necessarily the case. I mean, this is a different type of war in the sense that you know they're not you wearing uniforms, so you can't even identify who the bad guy is, right? I mean, you're out there in these villages and and you know you don't know where what's been infiltrated, what hasn't been infiltrated. I mean, and that goes all the way from, you know, there's no look and and <laughs> character to a to to the um to the enemy. And so it could be a kid, mm-hmm. it could be a female, it could be a male. Uh there's no age, you know what I mean? You you don't know what you're getting mm-hmm. into and and you talk about being hyper vigilant and and being on 24/7 365. I mean, that's probably the best way to describe it. But that being said, there's also um, I, I've talked to veterans who talk about, you know, there's a lot of good days where you do, like you said, shake hands and, um, you know, people, they looked at you as as a hero and they looked to you for whether it's something as simple as water, you know what I mean? And, and you provide them mm-hmm. with water that they actually appreciated it. And so, um, you know, I think it's important that the listener understands that it's not all about just going outside the wire and, and firing your guns and coming back and doing it all again the next day. It's a, there's a lot of, uh, like you said, uh, not necessarily downtime, but the time that you're out there actually gaining intelligence and uh, doing different things to, to better your position. And and so, uh, but you have to, you have to always be hyper vigilant because it's the time that you think you're the safest when something happens. Right. I mean, is that pretty accurate mm-hmm. to say? Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, because some of the fondest memories I have, you know, are some of the good stuff, you know, mm-hmm. being able to go in these, you know, sheik's houses and, you know, these village elders' houses and opening up their home and, and feeding us and the locals bringing us food and just, yeah, you know, kind of letting them know, like, we're not, we're not, we're not all bad, you know, we're, we are trying to here to help and. Right. And that's the stuff you don't hear about. You don't see it on TV or whatever. You know what I mean? You don't, you don't hear stuff about Mm -hmm. that, like them opening up their homes and cooking for you. And, and you know what I mean? You you only hear about the bad stuff and the the bombs going off and the IEDs and, you know, and, and so Mm -hmm. it's important to understand that, you know, there is good people out there. It's not, uh, you know, it's not all bad. It's just the bad people ruin it for everyone, unfortunately. So. Yeah. And, you know, they, they took care of us as much as we tried to take care of them. I mean, even if, you know, some of the, the, the guys I was with, if they didn't get to go into the house and stuff, you know, they would have people bring platters of food to our trucks and we would sit in there and eat lamb and, and bread and, and vegetables. And it just, it was kind of nice, you know, kind of made you feel somewhat wanted when Mm -hmm. you're far away, especially when you're, you know, sitting in a striker and it's, you know, 120 degrees and it's, feels like 170 inside with all yeah. your armor and everything on yeah but it's nice to it's nice to feel you know somewhat you know whether it was you know a, a facade or not you know either way it's you got to look at it that i think 
there's good in the world, and I think that's important to to see. I agree with you, brother. I completely agree. So, what were some of your most memorable moments from your deployment? Um, good and bad. Um, I would say one of the the, the good ones I had was uh, I, I, on my birthday. We were uh, out at a sheep's house. Uh, his name was Abu Mustak. I'll never forget him. <laughs> and uh, my lieutenant was like, "Hey, it's this young guy's, you know, birthday," and uh, you know, I got I had a picture taken of me, and he's sitting there, you know, feeding me rice and lamb off of a platter. And uh, I ended up I sent the picture home to my mom, and ended up in the newspaper and everything. Really? So I thought that was kind of cool. That is uh, cool. Um, you know, that kind of stuff, uh, you know, I was there whenever, um, you know, we, we turned back the cities over to like the, the Iraqis, um, just, you know, the celebrations and everything going on, you know, that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. It was like good and bad because it's like, we're turning it over, you know, they're thinking we're leaving, they're thinking, you know, the, Mm -hmm. you know, bad guys may taken they won so no now you you know you turn that over all the major cities back over um um it's um you know it was and it's kind of like it's got to happen because you know it's their country and you know they're they 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 need to run it and you know we're we're here to support them in a sense and um i you know I always enjoyed interacting with the kids and everything because, you know, they're, they're young and, you know, most of the time they don't know no better and, mm-hmm. you know, seeing their faces. And sometimes like I have some videos of me, I'm out, you know, I was, when I was up in the gunner's hatch, you know, just dancing around with the kids on the ground, just <laughs> trying to have fun. And, yeah. Um, but you know, with, with the good comes the bad and, um, uh, you know, uh, specifically, I know uh, on uh, Easter, I remember we were in Taji. We were doing some uh, maintenance, and you know, we were super excited because you know, uh, at the JSS, you know, we don't get nothing but the box, the box salt meals, and mm-hmm. you know, this this stuff that gives you indigestion. So. Um, <laughs> we were all excited to head back and hit the defac and, you know, have a decent meal. And, uh, I just remember walking down and we were getting ready to enter. And I just remember hearing this loud explosion going off. We were just like, Oh man, somebody just, somebody just got messed up. Uh And, uh, so we, we get our trays and we sit down and probably no more than like a minute later, um, uh, one of our leaders came in and was like, look, we got to go. We got to go. One of the sister platoon just got hit with an ID. And, you know, that was my first, like, Oh, mm-hmm. like, Oh crap. Like this, this is, this is real. And, you know, everybody's here enjoying the Easter meal. Mm-hmm. And here, you know, here we are jumping up out of our seats and, you know, these cruddy uniforms run into our vehicles. Uh you know, we load up and we're running out there and then you start hearing that uh they had some uh you know they uh had some casualties, you know, some people got hurt. Mm-hmm. Um and as you start getting closer you start 
you know, you see, start seeing smoke, and you're mm-hmm. just kind of like, oh man, this is this, this is, is bad. Real. Yeah, this is real. And um, and so when we roll up, you know, and you know, I I knew everybody in the troop. You know, we're all we're all friends. We're all family. We're you know we're there for the same reason. And uh, you just you kind of get a sense. It, I wouldn't call it like blacking out, but you just kind of like you kind of take a deep breath and and just prepare yourself for whatever's gonna happen. Mm-hmm. And I just remember growing up, and uh, you know we're one of the two platoons that responded. You know, one set up uh, a cordon. Uh, on the opposite side of the road and we set one i think going north and uh and you could just you know see the vehicle burning and you could just you know everybody's just running around you got mm-hmm. you got the traffic built up you know for absolute miles and I, I can't remember but you know the only thing that was going through my head was like all right who's in it whose vehicle who's hurt you know, mm-hmm. was anybody killed? Is you know, and you know, being a dismount, you know, I don't get that information. I'm just there to do my job, and mm-hmm. and that's it. You know, to make sure nobody else gets hurt. So, I just remember um, doing my job, and I felt like I, I felt like I stood outside pulling security for for four days. It, it felt like I was out there for four days on my feet, like. Mm and it just but at the same time i was all i could think about was you know people that were hurt like they would do the same thing for me mm-hmm. so um i think for me that's when reality kind of really sunk in in a sense and mm-hmm. i was like okay like this is this is gonna get real mm-hmm. and uh so um you know, and and one of the other things that's not kind of talked about is like you're also while while you're worried about your brothers, you know, making sure they're okay. Mm-hmm. You have thousands of Iraqis that are they want to get home to their families and they're angry because they can't move. Mm-hmm. So you're trying to be this this peacemaker, and here I am, just eighteen, nineteen year old me, just. Tell people to get back in the cars and mm-hmm. you know getting yelled at and just you never know what's gonna happen and you know when it's it's hardest you know you gotta start walking through the crowd and, and get people back into place you know it's it's nothing to you know in the back of your mind being like all right it's it's one of these gonna be the ones that grabs right. me and pulls me into the vehicle and right. takes me away or, yeah i mean so, it's already a, a hyper vigilant situation right i mean it's already bad and they just make it worse by like you said getting out of their cars and screaming at you and i'm sure it's difficult it's for just, you to understand um, exactly what they're saying anyway uh, and not yeah speaking English, and so. it's it's just one of those situations that makes you appreciate things like once you get home like how fast like you can go from, you know, having an Easter lunch to, hey, I need to be out here because there's people fighting for their lives. That's right. Yeah, you know, you're absolutely and right. And that, that switch is something I think is sometimes just doesn't get turned off in a sense. Mm-hmm. So, like, it, it's just it's just a constant, like, after that, I mean, it was it was 
you know, I was always hypervigilant. You know, you, you get back from something like that and you have the opportunity to sit down and decompress, but, mm-hmm. you know, you can't really decompress in a sense. Right. So you're kind of like, um, you just kind of like push it away. You're like, all right, you know, I know in a couple hours we got to go back out here and, you know, do our mission regardless of what happened. Yep. So. Wow. Well, thanks for sharing that story with us. Um, so after your your deployment in 2009, you obviously were still in the military until 2019. Is there anything more from the deployment that you wanted to share as far as, um, you know, to Iraq or or you want to talk about the next 10 years of your, your career before you got out in 2019? Um, so I just, uh, uh, the whole Easter period about the next two weeks afterwards were two, three weeks were probably the hardest. And then towards the end, um, towards the end, there was another IED attack that, you know, uh, injured a guy. And then, uh, April 4th, I remember, uh, it was just supposed to be one of our, you know, relaxed days, kind of like a reset mm-hmm. where we go back and, you know, we get maintenance on our vehicles and, uh, you know, uh, you know, we're the, we're the lead vehicle and, uh, we're just kind of, you know, pussing along thinking it's going to be an easy day, you know, go back to the main base, maybe snag one of them, you know, Taco Bells that they got there on the fancy <laughs> bases now. Right. And uh, um, I would say about 30 minutes into it, um, I still remember the song we were listening to. We were listening to that song here in my car. I feel safest at all. Yeah. And uh, I, I, I forget what part of the song, everything just kind of went black on me. and. Mm-hmm. I just remember, I, I remember waking up and uh, I didn't hear any music. I didn't hear anything. I just, I saw my gunner was sitting on uh, his seat and the air guards in the back were both down and the uh, vehicle was just full of like dust and like smoke and everything. And all I could smell was like, the burning of like an explosive and dust and I had no idea what what had happened. And, you know, after I would say a few seconds, I kind of started putting two together and, and, uh, I realized that my vehicle was just hit with an IED. Wow. And, uh, you know, thankfully our driver, you know, he pushed us out of the, the, what they, you know, called the kill zone, you know, that's, mm-hmm. um, and we got to a point where we stopped and, uh, I just re- remember just kind of, it's kind of like pure chaos. And in a sense, everybody's kind of yelling at each other. The comms are kind of like back and forth. And I got people looking at me, my ears are ringing, my head hurt. And it's just kind of like, all right. And, you know, realized everybody was good thank god you know the the striker that i was in um it 100 percent saved my life you know uh um uh, and at, you know 
after the whole thing, um, you know, got checked out by the medic and they just kind of were kind of like, yeah, you got some ringing in your ears, but you know, that's, that's really, you're good to go, you know, go basically go take a rest and get back with your unit. And, uh, I got to talking with, you know, some of the guys once I got back and the, the gunner was like with the vehicle behind us, he's like, he's like, you guys just disappeared and wow. black smoke. And, uh, we ended up finding out after, uh, a team came out and, you know, did their thing on the, uh, where the IED went off, you know, we were, we ended up being hit with the EFP. Um, What's that? What's in the EFP? Uh, explosively formed projectile. Okay. Yeah. Um, it's, uh, at that time they were like, uh, they were more of the, the deadlier IEDs because what they do is they put these explosives behind like a kind of like a copper charge. Mm-hmm. And the copper basically turns into a bullet that can penetrate, you know, I, you know, I can't give you the exact amount, but it can penetrate, you know, at least 10 inches of, you know, armor. And, um, um, but, you know, luckily, uh, the, uh, the bad guys, they ended up, they buried it too deep. Hmm. And so that kind of, that kind of, fooled their plan because uh if not i probably wouldn't be here to talk today because uh the efp shot directly where my gunner was and right underneath my seat so wow. um and uh i actually still have a piece of copper uh in a bag in one of my uh in one of my boxes that we uh pulled from underneath our vehicle so i kind of keep it as like a memento of like mm-hmm. You know, I'm still here today. You know, I can, uh, I, I can survive this. I can survive one more challenge. And, um, and then, you know, after, after everything, you know, that, that adrenaline rush and seeing the doctor and go, all I wanted to do was go back. I was like, yeah, I, I don't want these guys to think I'm a coward. Like, I'm ready to mm. go back. I'm ready to go back. I'm ready to fight. Like, I was pissed off at that point. So, yeah. You know, I was, I was just angry. I think, I think that's where it switched. I think I just became angry. I was like, I was angry. It happened to others, but I, I don't think you really understand the anger until it like happens to you in a sense. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, I was pissed off. I was ready to go and I, I didn't want to be just laying around. So the minute they said I could go, I, you know, I, I wanted to go back and, um, I was ready. I was ready to go. And I think. So how long did you stay kinda, after that happened? Uh, you mean in country? Yeah. Uh, about six months. Okay. So um, you, you were there for um, an I mean, entire it ha- year. It, then, ha- huh? it happened pretty early. It was pretty close to a year. Um, and then, you know, it, after that, I just, I felt like my mind was in hope and, and hyperdrive, you know, almost. And I was, uh, I don't think after, 
I mean, after the Easter incident, you know, I was I was wound up because, you know, I, you know, three people that got hurt during it that I knew close, you know, they, Mm -hmm. you know, friends, you know, brothers. And then for it to happen a week, less than a week later to me, I, I became just always ready. I just I felt like my mind never kind of clicked off in a sense. So. Mm It was it was hard. Hmm. So that being said, do you uh, were you able to call home and let your mom and dad know that you were okay and that you guys obviously took an IED and I mean it had to be hard um, on them. It was because it's one of those things that like for some reason if you don't tell them that somehow it, it gets back home. Mm-hmm. I just basically just said, Hey, you know, I'm okay. And, uh, I could, you can't really say too much just because of, you know, security reasons and everything. So, um, but it gets hard because, you know, you want to tell them about what's going on. You want to tell them about your, you know, your story and things that are going on and, you know, friendships you're building with the kids out there, Mm -hmm. you know, the, the pain or, you know, being out for 18 hours and coming back and having to sleep for three or four and then have to do it again. And you're just, Exhausted. you know, you beat down. Yeah. And, uh, but, you know, you have to be aware of, you know, security because you don't know who's listening. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, when, when it's only, you know, 85 90 guys on your little jss you know all you got is each other so you can't compromise what you have you got to protect them yeah so after you you got out of country um came back to the stateside did you get a chance to go home and uh, take a take a leave or yeah so uh, i did and uh everything everything seemed that you know seemed okay Mm-hmm. Um, it was kind of like a, uh, it, it's a weird feeling, I guess, to describe everything, um, because we had like a week where we actually, uh, we shut down the base and we actually turned it over. And I remember that being kind of hard on me mm-hmm. in a sense, because it was like, you know, I poured sweat, mm-hmm. tears, and blood into the place. And, mm-hmm. you know, it was, that was my home. You know, it's my safe space. And we just kind of gave it away. But, um, you know, when we came back uh, to Taji, um, you know, I remember laying in bed and you could steer, you know, still hear explosions. I know the day before we were getting ready to leave. Uh, they uh, they drove a uh, a car bomb into a Iraqi police station, and I remember hearing it going off. And it's just I don't know. I just couldn't sleep because mm. you just I don't know. You yeah. just you know you you never can know. So, um, but but getting home, yeah, it was. Uh, I remember I remember touching down in Fort Dix, New Jersey, and just. You know, we had like a two week, like out process type of thing, and then uh, they they sent us home. Mm. 
So two weeks kind of decompressing before you got to go home. Correct. Yeah, it was like a, it was more of like a, you know, cross your T's, make sure all your paperwork's done, you know, redo your life insurance and, you know, and stuff like that. So, I mean, two weeks is hardly enough time to process anything, right? I mean, that's, that's, uh, yeah, it's crazy, but, um, you know, you know, they, uh, they, they, uh, I didn't mean to cut you off, but, uh, you know, they, they set up, you know, meetings and stuff with people and, Mm -hmm. um, hey, you know, discuss like, Hey, this, these are your options. Like if something's, if you're not feeling right, you're not feeling good, you, you need to talk to somebody. But my, my whole time there, I, I never seen anybody actually step out and talk to somebody because I think, I think everybody just kind of wanted to get home. Mm-hmm. And I think that's kind of where it misses the mark sometimes mm-hmm. is with the, you know, getting out of deployment you know, you don't, they say, Hey, this stuff is here, but nobody wants to step up and, or nobody wants to be seen as the weak guy. So. Interesting. So you go home and could, could your parents, uh, could you tell that you were different? I mean, I have to believe you were different at that point. And what I mean by that is, I mean, you know, there's nothing here at home that could even compare to what you had just experienced, you know, uh, in Iraq. And so you get home and is it something where, you know, did you feel different? Did your parents feel like you were different? That type of thing? Um, it's tough. Cause I'm not sure. I'm not sure that I actually felt different. I just, it's so, it's, it's really strange to talk about because like when I think about it, being home like I never really I never really thought about it I kind of honestly when I got home just kind of put everything to the wayside mm-hmm. instead of instead of dealing with it I just kind of jumped back into oh I was like hey I'm home okay and at that point you're and, still in the military uh, right so you still have to go back you were just home on leave mm-hmm. yeah so you know it's kind of like okay i'm home it is what it is and let's just you know figure this out and you know luckily for me you know with the whole deployment and everything i didn't have much left and then i figured what i was going to do is just buy my time and you know get out completely but you know it uh it didn't work that way so, <laughs> i ended up staying in yeah so what ended up happening um, so I ended up going uh, back to Fort Knox with uh, 515 uh, there with training uh, in Fort Knox. Um, I did my time and uh, decided that I was going to go, uh, I was going to do National Guard. So I went with the National Guard, went back home, and I think that's kind of when everything set in for me mm-hmm. uh being home and not having a purpose is kind of like i think that's where i kind of began to lot like lose myself is is when i you know got home and realized i d- 
didn't have much for a purpose anymore. Yeah. So we're going to talk about reintegration, um, but before I, I get into that in the next segment, I just want to ask real quick. So you came home, um, and how were you active then, um, Army active duty for four years? Is that what it basically was? It was under your four years, and then after yeah, that you went into the next about, uh Yeah, about three and a half years, yeah. Okay. And so you decided to get, about get out and go into the National Guard at that point, but you were going into the National Guard full-time. Uh. Not as a reservist. It was going to be, it was a reservist. Reservist, okay. I was just curious because I, so you basically, um, you know, once you came back after your deployment um, and you went home for, you know, I assume what, a couple weeks, I think you said, and then um, did, did you went back to um, active duty and um, and that's when your enlistment was up? No, so I spent some time with 515 CAV okay. for training there and uh i basically spent my time uh, i basically was kind of like a i call myself a clerk i just helped with the uh the training for the uh like boot camp mm-hmm. uh and ai ait folk and uh helped out with that kind of stuff okay and then so your enlistment's up at that point and that's when you decide you're going to go into the uh, national guard correct yeah i went to uh, pa guard um uh, and uh went till 2019 is when i believe i got my honorable discharge wow and and at what point did you decide enough's enough i need to get out of the military like in 2019 yeah after everything um i think I think for me is I realized that I kind of some bigger goals and ambitions, mm-hmm. uh, but also, you know, after everything, I had a lot of uh, a lot of term turmoil. Mm-hmm. Um, I I got into some I got into some really dark spaces, mm. and um, I realized that. I, I guess I needed to do more in a sense because uh, I went through a lot mm-hmm. and uh, you know, I guess after I joined the guard, I went into college. Um, I went into uh, some issues with, you know, alcohol and PTSD and stuff. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of when I realized like, Hey, I need to, I need to separate myself from the entity that is the army in a sense and figure out a way to help others and kind of help myself. Very well said. So uh, I'm going to take a short break. Um, When we come back, if you don't mind, let's talk about reintegration into civilian life. Uh, I know it's difficult, um, but I just want to touch upon it real quick. Uh, We're going to take a short break. We'll be right back. Operation Healing Heroes podcast is made possible by Sure Microphones, the leader in audio electronics since 1925. Visit them at www.sure.com and by Great Clips, the world's largest salon brand with over 4,400 locations in the U.S. and Canada. Great Clips, it's gonna be great. 
This week's Nonprofit of the Week is Fort Freedom. The mission of Fort Freedom is to minimize the veteran suicide rate, free veterans from the imprisonment of post-traumatic stress, and guide them to a newfound sense of purpose. Fort Freedom offers an individualized 12-week life-restoring program supported by holistic and wellness-based services. Our experts range from fitness instructors and nutrition coaches to trauma therapists. This program doesn't hold your hand. It throws you a rope. Visit our website at www.myfortfreedom.org for more information. And we're talking to Damien. Uh, Damien, thanks again for sharing your story with us. Um, I know right before the break, you yes, kind sir. of alluded to the fact that um, reintegration for you was a little bit difficult and, and, you know, finding that sense of purpose once you got back here. Um, and, and I know that that's something that many veterans struggle with, and that's, uh, you know, reintegrating into civilian life and going to a day job and... Um, you know, I'm sure it was difficult. Uh, what would you like to share about that? Um, I mean, I think with reintegration, with a lot of things, is it's not uh, it's not an easy process. And I know with you know military and uh, a lot of the people I served with and the people I became friends with who were veterans, and then hearing their story and their integration and just. Uh, building bonds with a lot of people you know it's it's one of those things it's it seems simple but it's not um no, it's not at all so I mean, think about what you endured yeah. while you were there and then you come back here and, and you're asked to go to a desk job or something like that i mean it's it's damn near impossible you know what i mean to even fathom mm -hmm. and and to think that we yeah, expect so, that to happen is just kind of crazy so uh I guess uh, I I hadn't realized it, but a lot of people had. Uh, I just uh, I developed a really bad drinking problem. I mean, I was probably <clears throat> I was probably drinking, you know, a bottle of whiskey a day, and to me it was nothing. You know, it was mm -hmm. it was one of those things like it was nothing, but the people around me were like kind of. You know shocked and mm -hmm. the crazy crazy thing is is, is i never even I, I never really drank at all up until that point i never i never drank you know and uh the first time i ever drank is uh please don't tell the people in the military but <laughs> we were getting ready to leave iraq and i remember i had my first drink of some iraqi whiskey with some orange juice that i stole from the chow hall <laughs> and uh we uh that was my first time ever drinking and wow and how old were you at that I, point i had 20 21 wow or yeah so so you obviously um came back and I, i'm i'm gonna guess that you uh used it as a coping mechanism right i mean it's basically uh difficulty sleeping um you know, those types of things and that you, you know, the only way you could find some peace was, was through the bottle. Yeah. I don't think I, you know, I knew consciously what I was doing mm -hmm. and that way, um, you know, to me, because at that point I didn't really have a purpose, you know, I didn't really have much of a job. Uh, I was blowing through, 
you know, money I had saved through my deployment, you know, going through alcohol and just eating, just alcohol and eating. And uh, eventually I decided I was going to go to college, which, you know, for me was a big step because I never thought I wanted to go to college. Mm -hmm. So I, I went to college and, you know, it was a great experience because I kind of felt like I was part of a group again. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I lived in the dorm my uh, first semester. And, um, I, you know, after the military, you know, I was one of the older ones in the dorm. So mm-hmm. everybody was kind of like, oh, you're 21 now. You can, you can get a drink. So I kind of felt like, you know, I was like, oh, man, like I'm part of the team again. Like, mm-hmm. Contributing. And so... I just put all my feelings into uh, drinking. And, you know, once once I graduated uh, my, my bachelor's in criminal justice, um, I didn't really know what I wanted to do. I was looking at state police jobs and stuff. I looked around and uh, I ended up getting a job at a jail. And uh, I ended up working the midnight shift, of course. And uh, so. In security or? uh, No, I was a uh, a corrections officer. Okay. So I worked as a corrections officer and uh, I found myself. I don't know if it was just. Everything finally culminating into into what it was but i found myself slipping into kind of like a deep dark place where i come home from work i couldn't sleep i couldn't i couldn't function i would literally come home from work i would drink uh, a bottle of alcohol go to sleep wake up before work i would start drinking i and I, I just continued to do that and I just could never find, uh, I guess, a happiness. Like, mm-hmm. I always felt like I was kind of missing something in a sense. Mm-hmm. And uh, it finally culminated into me uh, just, I finally kind of just broke down and was just like, I've had enough. Like, I can't do this anymore. Like, if I have to go home, after a shift and drink anymore, like I, I don't know if I can do the same more. And mm-hmm. uh, I ended up in a VA uh, emergency room in Martinsburg, Virginia, because uh, I was threatening suicide at the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I had a I had a plan, I had an action, and I had the opportunity. And I don't know if I was just too afraid or if I knew I wanted to live and just needed the help to mm-hmm. overcome. But I ended up going that route and I spent about uh, three or four weeks in a, uh, in a hospital and the VA just kind of getting treatment. And Thank I, God, yeah. I spent some time, it, you know, and I spent some time around some guys that really, we're in the same boat and I kind of got to talking to them and hear their stories. And, you know, everybody had different, you know, 
some people got hurt, you know, got addicted to opioids. Some mm-hmm. people were uh, alcoholics and just just a lot of stress. And um, for me, that's kind of when I realized, like, I need to change my life. I need to find a way out. I need to find a way to make the best of everything that happened. Mm-hmm. But, you know, it's easier said than done in a lot of sense. Mm-hmm. Um, so for me, I just, I, I kind of wanted to get out. I was like, okay. I was like, I'm not, I'm nowhere near as bad as some of these guys. I need to get out of here. And I, you know, eventually got out after a couple months, they recommended the cat program, which is for like PTSD mm-hmm. and uh, alcohol. Um, and obviously I, d- I didn't do it. I didn't think I needed it. Mm-hmm. Um, I lost my job at the jail and uh, at that point I kind of realized I had nothing you know mm-hmm. all, all I had was you know being a calf scout and you know I graduated college with a degree you know I, I had nothing and so I kind of felt lost again and the only thing I had to fall back on thankfully was you know I still had some of the GI Bill so I was like all right I'll go to college again that that way I'm at least productive and um, can keep myself busy. Um, you know, all at the same time, you know, I'm going to drill, uh, I'm doing training. Uh, I ended up going to Latvia for two months for training. Mm. You know, I got to interact with, you know, Italian soldiers, French, you know, uh, you know, Pol- people, uh, you know, soldiers from Poland and getting to get a whole experience. And mm-hmm. I, st- I started to realize, like, if I don't separate myself from some sort of military aspect, I'm just going to keep kind of going where I'm going mm-hmm. because I'm always kind of realized, like, that, you know, that's who I am. And I thought about going back and uh you know wanting to deploy again and you know i I just kept weighing options and going back and forth and finally i uh was able to land a job with the government and i was like this is it but i just kept uh drinking basically i you know i would drink I, i would say maybe an 18 pack a night Almost, you know, it almost every night, you know, and my finances were getting hard. And luckily I had a decent job, you know, with the government, but every night, you know, I would go home, I'd stop at the store, get a case of beer, go home and just sit there. And sometimes I wouldn't even just watch TV. I would just, you know, stare at a screen and just drink Mm -hmm. because I didn't, I didn't know what else to do. Mm-hmm. At this point, did you realize you had PTSD or did you, I mean, was it one of those things where you were like, you know, did you, did you recognize it or, and, and not want to admit it or what was it? I don't think so because I never really went to the VA because, you know, you always hear the, the stories about the VA mm-hmm. and, um, 
you always hear like, hey, you know, I don't want to be one of those guys that goes to the VA or, you know, we, you know, you don't need help. You're, it, and it's kind of ingrained, you know, when you go to basic, it's kind of like, hey, you're, you're the tough guy. And, mm-hmm. you know, certain MOSs in the military teach you to try to be the tough guy. Um, but I think, you know, once I got in, um, you know, um, one of my good friends I met at the the jail, he was, uh, he was actually in Iraq as well in like 2005. And I worked with him for, you know, a few months and we became close friends and all we would do is just hang out, drink and just talk about the military. You know, he would show me videos and I would show him videos. Mm -hmm. And then, uh, you know, after a few months, uh, I found out he ended up overdosing on uh, prescription medication and it kind of like, it kind of destroyed me in a sense because I I wasn't used to that kind of stuff being at home. So Mm -hmm. uh, uh, it was hard, I would say. And then I had a few other people that I was with uh, that, committed suicide as well so it just it was kind of an eye-opener like maybe i'm not as crazy as i thought i was Mm -hmm. and that's kind of finally when i reached out to the va and was like hey you know i would like to be evaluated and i went through the whole process and um I ended up being diagnosed with PTSD and a traumatic brain injury mm-hmm. from, from my IED. Yep. Yeah. And um, from there, you know, the VA does their best to try and work with you and, and do everything that they can. But it's one of those things that's it's, it's truly easier said than done. You know, they set you up with like, you know, appointments and all this kind of stuff. But you know, the, one of the first things they wanted to do was just put me on medication to try to help me to sleep. And mm-hmm. um, the medication just kind of gave me nightmares. I couldn't sleep. I I still sleep all kinds of wacky hours. Um, but I think just kind of looking back at it, you know, I realized that, you know, what what we did and what people do, you know, in service is not something that should be taken lightly in a sense, you know, they, but it's, it's really hard for people to, to reach out, you know, and Mm -hmm. myself, it took me, uh, took me almost six years, seven years to finally reach out to the VA and be like, Hey, I I don't know what's going on. I can't, I can't sleep. I can't think I can't concentrate. I don't know what's going on in my head. I have weird thoughts. Like I, I, I think irrationally mm-hmm. and they kind of finally just laid it out for me and it, it started to make more sense. But at the same time, you know, I didn't want to be a victim because mm-hmm. it's something I volunteered for. So, um, it, it's hard. Um, but I think as time progressed, you know, I kind of tried to, try to own up to it be like 
you know, this is it. You know, I need to start making better decisions and and adjust my lifestyle and in a sense to uh kind of cater to my needs, you know, like mm-hmm. uh and I felt like part of me was always missing, like that action adventure mm-hmm. type of I always need always need the next fix type of thing. And uh I think just as I was kind of finally settling in, that's kind of when things happened with my stepdad. Um, um he uh he had been in the military uh for a while. He had served in Afghanistan and um you know, my mom was finally happy. And uh, he ended up uh, taking his life in the garage of their home. Mm. As he said, he was going to work. You know, he worked in uh, Fort Sill, Oklahoma. He was a a training NCO for the uh, field artillery guys Mm. that were doing their basic and stuff. So um, I remember getting that call and just... It just it was kind of an eye opener because I previously just spent like a couple like a week down there I think a week or two mm-hmm. and you know we we spent so much time together and he took me to all these games and sporting events and um, you know he took me to see the Oklahoma City Thunder which was cool you know my first time trying a Shinerbach beer. Uh, <laughs> He took me. Uh, he took me to the Rose Bowl. Uh, wow. He took me to an. He took me to another football game, and then literally, you know, three four weeks later, uh, he took his own life, unfortunately. And you know, now thinking about it, like I've had those same type of thoughts. You know, right, right. So I I have I have all this. I want to give it away before I I leave. And I was like, I should have kind of seen things coming. So did he, Did obviously he was suffering with PTS himself, I assume, right? Mm-hmm. And um, could, could you see it when you were with him at the time? No, absolutely not. And no. I think that's the part that's kind of scary. It's like when I was there, like he was just, so genuine just very happy Mm -hmm. and um and to kind of think back now i mean you know those those events and that kind of stuff is you know they're expensive things you know like shoot i mean a rose bowl ticket you know Mm -hmm. a couple thousand dollars you know at the dallas cowboy stadium at the time and uh it's i mean looking back now i should have kind of seen it and the thing was it's like when we were in the car you know we we would talk about you know being in the military and and that's that's really all we talked about is we you know we didn't talk about like my mom you know how they were doing a fort so we just talked about the military huh. and uh i know he struggled with some of the stuff that he saw in afghanistan so it was uh it was kind of tough, um, mm-hmm. just kind of answering that phone call and uh, just knowing how 
everything kind of went down. And at that point, you know, I, you know, I already lost a friend who overdosing on this prescription meds. Mm-hmm. Uh, just. And how, how long everything, ago was this? I mean, this would have been uh, 20, I want to say 2013. Okay. Wow. So that being said, um, you know, or I'm sorry, I think 2011, 2011, I, it doesn't matter. It, I, I was I just curious. Yeah, yeah, no, no I'm problem. Sorry. No, no problem. I was just, I was just curious, you know, uh, so, you know, you've been living with this then. And so, um, it next, was 2013. I apologize. Yeah, that's okay. Um, I was just curious. So basically, you know, I'm going to, uh, we're going to take one quick break here and I want to get into the last segment, which is kind of time, you know, what are you doing now after the military? And, and, um, yeah, why don't we just do that real quick? Let me, let me take a quick break. As soon as we come back, let's talk about life after the military. Cause there's some things I definitely want to talk to you about. So we'll, we'll be right back. Operation Healing Heroes podcast is made possible by Wiley X Sunglasses. Wiley X is a family-owned company founded by U.S. military veteran Miles Freeman Sr. with a focused determination to create the world's best protective gear for those that protect our country. Over 35 years ago, Wiley X was born on the battlefield. Today, Wiley X continues to pioneer protective eyewear and sunglasses, not only for our military, but for consumers as well. Visit www.wileyx.com and support the companies that support our veterans. This week's nonprofit of the week is Fort Freedom. The mission of Fort Freedom is to minimize the veteran suicide rate, free veterans from the imprisonment of post-traumatic stress, and guide them to a newfound sense of purpose. Fort Freedom offers an individualized 12-week life-restoring program supported by holistic and wellness-based services. Our experts range from fitness instructors and nutrition coaches to trauma therapists. This program doesn't hold your hand. It throws you a rope. Visit our website at www.myfortfreedom.org for more information. And we're talking to Damon Rhodes. Damon, thank you for, uh, again, taking the time to to share your story with us and... uh... It's been a struggle, yes, um, and so I want to I want to better understand um, how are you doing? I mean, as far as today, um, I think uh, I think I'm doing better than I was doing when I was the younger me. Mm-hmm. Um, I've started to realize a more of a a sense of passion to put my effort into certain things and I know you know struggling with PTSD and some things myself one of the biggest things is just staying busy mm-hmm. and if you don't stay busy you know um, that's kind of when you get into trouble so uh, I, I'm really trying to be proactive and one of my biggest things is I really just want to help other veterans you know I've I've always been adamant about it because people have helped me along my way. You know, when I was at the VA, um, one of the psychologists I ran into, um, he was just one of the most genuine people I ever met. And um, it just made me realize, like, 
as hard as things are, like there's still a purpose for some things that we have to do. Mm-hmm. So I think it's just trying to find that purpose and uh, and go from there. Well, I, I want to mention to you that um, obviously Operation Healing Heroes, um, what we do is provide comfort, healing, and hope for our veterans and the family members uh, that are struggling with PTS. And and I want to um, I want to offer you some services that we've been able to um, secure as it relates to other nonprofits that you may or may not be aware of. But there's a there's the the first one that comes to mind. There's an organization called Twenty Two Zero out of Florida. Um, that I believe is the closest thing to a cure for post-traumatic stress that there is. And um, you could tell me I'm absolutely batshit crazy, but the reality is is that um, there's, uh, in a nutshell, our brains are hard drives. And uh, when trauma happens, um, it writes sights, smell, taste, sounds, those things that you described um, to me when that IED went off. Uh, black, uh, ears ringing, smell, you, you even describe smells, that type of thing. Um, that's exactly what our, our brains write to the hard drives. And, and so when we revisit uh, those events in our, in our minds, it brings us right back to that moment, uh, which is essentially you know, post-traumatic stress. And so what they've been proven that they're able to do, and this is without um, any drugs, anything like that, is they've proven that they can detach the emotion from the trauma. The trauma still happened the way that it did, but they can absolutely, um, through TRP therapy, uh, detach the emotion from the trauma, which essentially gives you um, the ability to think back about that trauma and not have the feelings that you had, um, the anxiety that you had when you thought about it. And so um, I would like to offer you uh, free TRP uh, 22-0 training. Um, we will pay 100% for that because I want to make tomorrow better than today for you. Not only you, but um, you know anyone, any of your loved ones. I'm, your mom has to be suffering um, with your stepdad's suicide. Um, I'd love to offer her some help if at all possible. Um, in addition to that, you mentioned that you were diagnosed with a, a, a traumatic brain injury. And uh, a TBI, mm-hmm. and uh, there's a, a gentleman that's currently right now. Um, you could you could go on YouTube and find out. His name is Dr. Joseph Deturi. Um, he is a, a Navy veteran, uh, dive master Navy veteran, and he is currently underwater in Key Largo, Florida, for the last 57 days. Uh, oddly enough, yesterday I did a podcast with him. From he's 30 feet below sea level, and uh, he's he's down there doing research as it relates to post-traumatic stress and traumatic brain injuries um, with hyperbarometric chambers and pressure, uh, oxygen, that type of thing. And he's been down there for 57 days. He's going to be down there for 100. He's uh, the, the thing that he's doing is called Project Neptune 100. And uh, he's breaking a world record of being able to stay under water for 100 days. He's living in a, in a capsule in Key Largo, Florida. And uh but more importantly, That's he, incredible. yeah, he has a uh, clinic in Tampa, Florida, in which um, he himself, when he had gotten out of the military, was in a, a bad car accident, which left him with a traumatic brain injury. And uh, in, in, in summarizing, he had gone to a neurologist who basically said they, they wouldn't be able to help him, and this is something that he was going to have to live with for the rest of his life. And uh, he didn't believe mm-hmm. it, and uh, he ended up um, literally finding his own cure um he's he's completely cured from his traumatic brain injury and he was able to do this through hyperbaric 
oxygen chambers that he has in his in his facility now. Ice baths. It's a a twenty eight day program that you would go through, and it literally um, will essentially cure your, or at least make tomorrow better than today with your TBI and your PTS. And mm-hmm. so, uh, Doctor Detouri is an amazing individual. And um, if you go on YouTube and and uh, type in Doctor Deep C S E A, Doctor Deep C, um, you can see uh, he's posting every single day. Um, about his experience down there, but he's doing a whole bunch of uh, of research as it relates to traumatic brain injuries and post-traumatic stress. And so um, I would love to be able to connect the two of you and see if we can't help you from that aspect also. Um, but it's, it's one of those things where you had just got done telling me that you really want to spend your life helping others, helping other veterans. And um, and, and it's really important um, that, again, I appreciate you and your service, and, and I love the fact that you're wanting to do this. But I think that uh, if we can get you a little bit of help um, yourself, I really think that you can then go out and help others also. And, and I, I believe this. Um, so if you're willing, I'd really be honored to be able to, uh, to, to you know, do a quick thing when we get off of this podcast and, and be able to uh, connect you with 220 and see if we can get you some help uh, with, with that. And we, we pay a hundred percent, so you don't have to pay anything. It's, it's uh, completely free to you, but um, I'm pretty confident that, that I could make tomorrow better than today for you. I, I mean, I, I, I really do appreciate that. And this, you know, this, this whole thing was, it's pretty hard for me because, you know, I got a lot of anxiety and, um, well, I just know really, doing the podcast was difficult for you. Yeah, and and let's yeah be perfectly honest. You know what I mean? But, it's just um, coming out of I your mean, comfort zone. You know. Yeah, and uh, you know, to be honest, I I didn't even know anything about TBI until I was diagnosed with it. You know, I was I was walking up the uh, the stairs to my my dorm, and I just passed out and. Uh, somebody found me in the dorm and called my mom and they rushed me to the emergency room and I that's that's when they, they told me I had a TBI and I was like what the heck is that? Mm-hmm. I was like I don't know what this is and I was like so this is something else I have to deal with and I think leading up to it I kind of knew you know, I, I, you know I'd get lightheaded just dizzy and all kinds of sorts of things and uh, you know that opened my eyes to something I thought I would never have you know I Mm -hmm. I never wanted to have TBI I don't think anybody would want to but um, that's kind of why you know once I established my life and kind of got where I'm going like I went to uh school and I studied studied psychology and I studied uh, uh, neuropsychology and I ended up getting my master's in psychology Wow! Um, and uh, I'm working on a doctorate now so you know I'm trying to get my doctorates and then I can kind of slowly work my way into you know, getting the internships I need because I would love to work in the VA. Um, kind of just, you know, I'll never forget the 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 gentleman that helped me when I was there, and he just kind of told me like, "Hey, you you know, you're not 
you're not crazy. Right. You just, your mind, your mind is moving. This is kind of one of the best analogies that was ever told to me is that everybody else's brain is moving 65 speed limit. And as a soldier, you know, through everything you've been through and everything, you know, a lot of times your mind might be moving 80 mm-hmm. and our goal is, is to not get you down to 65 miles per hour. Our goal is to get you to like 75, 70, you know, to where you can process and deal with life. And I think that's been a big part of my life is trying to figure out how to process everything because my mind does move a million miles per hour. I mean, my anxiety is terrible. Uh, I overthink everything. Mm-hmm. Uh, I I feel like I'm always, you know, beating my head off the wall if I if I don't do something right, you know. Um, and I think it's just trying to be at that point in my life where I can get my care right, so I can help others. So I I don't want to help that, others, so I can help myself. You you said it exactly right. I mean, you're you're absolutely right, and and. That's the thing. If I can help you get, and again, I, I can't sit here and tell you today that I can cure your PTSD or your 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 TBI. But if I can make tomorrow better than today, um, I think it's mm-hmm. absolutely worth it. And that's really where where I want to I want to try and play a role in in, in your healing process because um, I've seen what it can do. Um, we've referred now over a hundred veterans um, to twenty two zero and. Again, you could believe me or not believe me, but a hundred percent of them have received relief. They, they may not have been cured. Um, some of them have been. Some of them have been, and literally, uh, they can't find their anxiety anymore. And when you're free from anxiety, mm-hmm. you're free to go about and live your life again. And if I can take your anxiety from a ten down to a two, um, how cool would that be? Um, literally. And and I yeah. I firmly believe that I can do that for you. I really do. Um it's not going to happen overnight, but um you know the the trauma within your life doesn't happen overnight either. It it happens culmination of things like you said with your deployment and then coming mm-hmm. home and losing your friend to suicide and then losing your stepfather to suicide. I mean, these are all things that happen over time and um you know, I, I always say it you're you're not broken one day and I can't fix you in one day, but that being said, you, you have to believe that there is help out there and and you can be fixed um, as much as you 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 may not want to believe it or you may not believe that it's even out there that the, the um, that, that these treatments are are very very real and the the reason that I I feel um, and again I'm not getting political here but I, I believe that the reason that they're not mainstream is because there's no big pharma behind it, right? There's no drugs, there's no mm-hmm. nothing like that. And so when there's no big pharma behind it, um, there's, it's not going to get the media attention. It's not going to get the, but the the most important part is, is that you're getting the relief from it. And, uh, and if you can get yeah. some relief from this, uh, man, I, I would be, I would be honored to be able to provide that um, to, to you. And I really, I hope that uh, you'll take me up on my offer, and it's, like I said, as soon as we're done here with this this podcast, uh, uh, you and I can talk about that. Um, but yeah, I, I really, I'd love to be able to provide that to you if you'd, you'd allow me to. Absolutely, because uh, you know one of my biggest things, like I think the reason I fell into such a deep hole and and 
you know, ended up in the hospital and everything was because, you know, one of the easiest answers that they gave me was, well, here, just, you know, take these. Mm-hmm. And I, and I, I probably could have filled up a countertop with the amount of meds that I had received. It was receiving like mm-hmm. monthly every three months. And, you know, the answer is easy. Like, Hey, you know, take this, this is for anxiety, take this, this is for sleeping. Mm-hmm. This is going to give you nightmares, but here's this to take away the nightmares. Mm-hmm. And then here's this for your back pain. And then here's this for your knee pain. And then next thing you know, you're on 18 different medications. And if you drink water the wrong way, you're going to feel like crap. Right. No, you're absolutely right. And, uh, so it's, uh, it's been, it's tough because I, I've, watched opioids like that destroy some of my friends lives and you know just you know i i I didn't just lose one of my friends to you know opioids i lost two and i i just can't Mm -hmm. get behind having to take medication you know i do it because it kind of makes me feel normal in a sense Mm -hmm. and i take as little as i can Mm but at the same time, it's it's like if I don't, like I can't fit into the sense of reality. Yeah, um, and and you're you're no different than many many other veterans out there that are listening to this show who are in the exact same boat as you. And and I tell them the exact same thing. If if uh, if you'll give me the opportunity, I will absolutely try and make tomorrow better than today for you. Also, and. Uh, and that's really what it's all about is um, if, if we can get you off of, mm-hmm. you know, three of those medications, uh, then let's do it. Right. I mean, and, and there's certain things that, you know, medication is good for. I'm not I'm not saying that all medications are bad. I'm just saying that, um, you know, uh, the VA has been known to over medicate. And uh, like you said, you know, you're going to have mm-hmm. this, but yet the side effect from this is going to be nightmares. And then so to, to get rid of your nightmares, you're going to take this. Well, this is going to, you know, it's a it's a slippery slope. And um you know and it's i think some of it too comes down with some of these veterans and why i want to help so much and the you know with the va and them is that they have to fight so hard for some of their their rights mm -hmm. or you know what they're what they're owed or they're you know if they're fighting if, if they're fighting for a percentage on their disability or just you know, to be seen for some sort of healthcare, it's, it seems like it's always a fight. And I think that's why a lot of people turn away. That's why I turned away until mm-hmm. I finally couldn't, or else I was gonna, yeah, I was just gonna, you know, drink till I didn't wake up anymore. Right, right. Well, please know that there is help out there and that, uh, and that we want to help you. Um, and we are going to help you if you'll allow us to, um, it, it's a, it's a done deal. Um, I'm glad you and I were able to, to connect. Um, cause I believe God works in mysterious ways, man. And, and this might've just been the, his connection between the two of us, because I really think that, um, in a very short amount of time, this isn't something that takes, you know, weeks, months, years to, mm-hmm. to, to clear. This is something that, uh, I'm going to be able to put you in touch with somebody this evening that is going to uh, work with you whenever the ne- whenever you're available and and you're going to find um, relief instantly. Uh, it, it happens very quickly. This is a, 
literally a 20 minute or half hour. Uh, when I say procedure, all it is is a Zoom call. I mean, it's literally a Zoom call mm-hmm. and it's crazy. You do not have to relive your trauma. Uh, you do not have to tell anybody about it. As a matter of fact, they don't even want to know what it is. Um, and it's it's a pretty amazing process. And, and like I said, I'm, I'm, I'm excited for you because I know that I'm going to be able to help you and provide some relief to you. So, um, but that being yeah, said, I, that would be amazing because I'm really, sorry. I, no, I just no, no. want to say thank you, and absolutely, uh, I just brother. want to say thank you because uh, I think I think the hardest part for a lot of people is just not wanting to have to relive everything. As long as it's easier, you know, just kind of yes, we we need the help and we just need it now. And the only thing I ask from you in return is that if it works for you and you get some relief from it, that you pass this information along to a hundred other vets that you that you know of that are struggling or family members, friends, whatever it may be. I don't care if it's a civilian. You don't have to be a veteran. There's there's not a person walking the face of this earth that doesn't have some form of trauma in their life. And so this doesn't, it's not just combat trauma that it's helping. It helps any form of trauma. And we all have trauma. We all have anxiety and, um, and depression. And so uh, if I can, again, make tomorrow better than today for any of our listeners, I want to do that. And so uh, it's, it's an important part of, of, who I am and what I want to do to give back to our veterans and say thank you. Cause like you said, you put your life out on the line uh, for us to be able to be free and uh, I'll never take that for granted. And um, I certainly, I appreciate you. I appreciate your family's uh, service to our country and uh, I just want to see if yes, I can sir. help. So yes, sir. I, I appreciate everything. Oh, you're absolutely welcome, brother. Um, before we wrap up the podcast here, just real quick, I wanted to ask you. So, what what is what are you doing now? Um, you're currently working. Yes, sir. So, uh, I'm successfully working. Uh, I work for the Department of Defense. Uh, I actually run. I am the DoD civilian in charge of the entire uh, ammunition supply point for Fort Bragg. Wow. So any training, deployment, global, uh, you know, anything global, you know, Sudan, uh, Iraq, um, you know, I, I, I oversee the, the munitions that go out and uh, it's, a, it, it's a great opportunity. It's a great experience. Um, I love being here. I love being around the soldiers. It makes me feel makes you feel good, a sense of purpose, gives me a reason to stick around. And um, like I said, I'm, I'm about to start working on my doctorates. Good for you. Well, hey, I'm God bless you for realizing that you, you had the problem and that you, you know, you were able to um, put your pride aside and say, hey, listen, I need to get some help. You went out to the VA and you reached out and, um, like I said, I, I'm I'm so proud of you and and the fact that thank goodness you're still with us because I know how difficult it could be um, and and it's unfortunate every every veteran suicide that that I learn of um, it just punches me in the gut because I know that had I been able to talk to that individual I may have been able to help them and um, I know there's a lot of people and a lot of organizations out there that that claim that they want to help and they do help I mean there's a lot of great nonprofits out there that help our veterans from equine therapy mm-hmm. to service dogs, you name it, man. The, God bless every single one of these individuals who's who's trying to make tomorrow better than today. But um, just know that there is help out there and that it's okay. It's okay to feel the hurt. It's okay to feel the pain. And it's also okay to ask for help. So um, 
that being said, um, I always close the show with two questions, and I, I, I want to just ask, you know, what would you say to a, a veteran or family member who's listening to our show today and that is struggling with post-traumatic stress? Um, I would say that I understand that the hardest thing is to, to reach out. Uh, mm-hmm. It could take months, it could take years, but at some point, there, there is a time that you hit that you know and I would say just grasp at that opportunity, reach out, and take advantage of everything that you can. And don't be afraid to hide your story. Don't be afraid to talk to somebody. Um, you never know. You know, your neighbor might be going through the same thing. Couldn't have said it better myself. Great job. And uh, that being said, uh, any parting words that you'd like to share with with our listeners? I mean, I think you just did a great job of it. But uh, that being said, you know, um, we're going to try and make tomorrow better than today for Damien. And then you're going to go on and you're going to help a, a million other veterans. I guarantee you that because you're a smart guy. Yeah. Uh, I just want to say uh, thank you for listening. Uh, thank you for your time. Uh, I also want to give a shout out to a friend that just passed away. Uh, he's a veteran, Derek Krautheim. Mm. Uh, he just lost his life. Uh, we don't know the circumstances yet. And uh, he was a hell of a soldier, a mm. uh, hell of a man, hell of a friend. Uh, he passed away uh, Saturday or Sunday. And uh, we just, you know, want you to think about his family, um, his friends, his loved ones. And, uh, just remember that, uh, don't, don't ever be afraid to reach out, whether it's through suicide hotline or the VA, there's always somebody out there that's willing to listen to your story and willing to listen to you. Amen to that brother. And we will absolutely be praying for that soldier and his family and his loved ones and his friends. Um, I hope that, uh, I hope they get the comfort and healing that they absolutely need and deserve. And um, yeah, I, I just can't say thank you enough for sharing your story because it really, I hope that it resonates with, with some of our listeners and, and lets them know that, um, man, tomorrow's never promised, right? And so, uh, you know, mm-hmm. live every day uh, with with your fullest intent and, and be a good person, man. There's, there's like you said, there's organizations yeah. out there that want to help, so. And it, if anybody ever wants to reach out, I mean, you can email me uh, through you or give me a call. I, yeah, I'm, go ahead and I'm leave, more than leave your email to, address. I'd be to, more than happy. Go ahead and give it. Yeah. Uh, it's uh, Damien, D-A-M-I-E-N dot Rhodes, R-H-O-D-E-S 13 at gmail.com. I'm more than willing to, to talk. Uh, I talk to people all the time, you know, just, uh, it's, it's something for me because eventually I, like I said, I want to get into the VA. I really want to help. I want to, I want people to push for their, you know, what they deserve and, and get their disability and just in any way I can help them. Uh, I, I'm more than happy to, cause all I care about is, you know, our service members and everything they do for us. Um, you know, what what I did was just a drop in the bucket to what's out there. And there's a lot of people that I understand that don't reach out, that don't think they deserve the care or deserve the need or, you know, but I, I'm here, uh, Jay is here and, um, 
I, I would be more than happy to, you know, help you. And it, even if I can just point you in the right direction or give you some guidance or just talk, I mean, I just, I just want to help veterans. Cool. Well, again, thank you very much. And I think your drop in the bucket is a lot bigger than you think it might be, but um, I understand uh, you got to swallow some pride in order to be able to admit that. But you know what? Uh, Again, I can't say thank you enough for your service. And um, I certainly, again, I appreciate you sharing your story. I know it's not easy talking about uh, some of the difficult things we we spoke about today, but again, if we can uh, just connect with one veteran or one veteran's family member and, and let them know that there is hope, there's help, there's healing, um, I certainly appreciate it. So, uh, Damien, thank you so much. And, uh, yeah, go ahead. If I can, if I can do one more, sure. I want to say, uh, the organization TAPS, T-A-P-S, uh, great organization helps with gold star families. They, they, they also truly helped me through the tragedy of my, uh, stepfather. Great. Um, they're, they're, they're great too. Um, and don't be afraid to reach out to them. They have a lot of great opportunities and, um, and what Jay said, uh, every organization that he has, just please reach out. Well, thank you very much, Damien. I, again, I appreciate your time. Um, I just wanted to say that life's a journey. Sometimes it can be a struggle, but there's always somebody, something, someone out there that wants to help you out. So please make sure that you reach out. Reach out uh, through the VA. Reach out through Operation Healing Heroes. Reach out through Take a Vet Fishing, any of uh, the nonprofit organizations that want to support. But uh, post-traumatic stress is a, we call it the silent killer, but there's ways of healing and there is hope and there is help. So please research it. Find it. Um, Until next week, when we talk to another veteran and hear another story, uh, we want to just say thank you and uh, keep the good fight going. Operation Healing Heroes podcast is made possible by Wiley X Sunglasses. Wiley X is a family-owned company founded by U.S. military veteran Miles Freeman Sr. with a focused determination to create the world's best protective gear for those that protect our country. Over 35 years ago, Wiley X was born on the battlefield. Today, Wiley X continues to pioneer protective eyewear and sunglasses, not only for our military, but for consumers as well. Visit www.wileyx.com and support the companies that support our veterans. This week's nonprofit of the week is Fort Freedom. The mission of Fort Freedom is to minimize the veteran suicide rate, free veterans from the imprisonment of post-traumatic stress, and guide them to a newfound sense of purpose. Fort Freedom offers an individualized 12-week life-restoring program supported by holistic and wellness-based services. Our experts range from fitness instructors and nutrition coaches to trauma therapists. This program doesn't hold your hand. It throws you a rope. Visit our website at www.myfortfreedom.org for more information. Operation Healing Heroes podcast is made possible by Great Clips, the world's largest salon brand with over 4,400 locations in the U.S. and Canada. Great Clips, it's gonna be great. And by Sure Microphones, the leader in audio electronics since 1925. Visit them at www.sure.com.